Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this first of two classes on the book of Psalms for the Thames Valley Churches of Christ. Now, for this, this class series, we are repurposing a talk given by my good friend, Dr. Douglas Jacoby, a little while ago. He's given us permission to, to reuse his material, so thank you, Doug, for that. And this is a talk where he does the first half on the overview to the book of Psalms and how he might use it. And the second half is an overview of his book on the Psalms called Thrive. That's why this series is called Thrive. And I got this book and read it a year or two ago, and I found it to be very helpful to my personal devotional life, understanding the Psalms better. And if you want to get the most out of these two classes, I might suggest you get this little book. It's only a small little book, as you can see if you're watching the video. It is, what, 120 odd pages long. It's not the sort of book you want to read quickly because the idea is to use the book to help us get into the Psalms. The point is not obviously so much the book as the Psalms. And this might help us to get deeper into the Psalms with a better understanding of what they're for. And it may not only help your own personal devotional life, but it may also enrich our congregational life. And I'd suggest as we go through this, you might want to think about how could we utilize Psalms more in our times of collective worship? Anyway, that's a thought for another time. I don't want to take any more time up right now, so let me allow Doug to get straight into the first of these two classes. Hello, Thames Valley. I'm speaking to you from Honolulu, where I've been doing some work with AIM Pacific. At any rate, I'd like to introduce a couple of lessons you'll be going through with Malcolm using material in my book, Thrive, how to use the Psalms, really to help us to do well spiritually. Psalms is a book of hymns, of prayers. It was the hymn book and the prayer book of the early Christians. Psalms is an emotional book. Some of it is not easy to read. And yet, isn't it true that we're called to deal with our thoughts and our minds, our emotions, even when it's tough? Psalms is an incredible resource. I realized that many years ago. I had told a friend, Mark Templer, that I wanted to become proficient at the Psalms and know what was in every Psalm. And that was in the late 1980s. Six or seven years ago, I realized I still hadn't come through on that. And so I took a year just to study the Psalms. What emerged from that was a new way of looking at life and the Lord. And what emerged from that was also a little book, which I've called Thrive. In 2018, I was asked to speak, to produce video on this theme for a New England Christian conference that is in the Northeast United States. And Thrive was the theme. And so I remember I was, I, it was filmed in a house during a blizzard, it was quite something, barely just made it there. And, and what I've done is in two parts. The first part is more of a general introduction to the Psalms and why this is important. But I learned so much through my study. I, I was just overflowing, wanted to share it with you. In the second part, I go through the book. The book's small, just 12 chapters, but I'll give you an overview of what's in there. And I think the material and even just the overview can be appropriate as you have these two midweek sessions. Thanks, Malcolm, for the idea. I think that's a good one. I know Psalms are wonderful, and I appreciate also the possibility of being better connected with my brothers and sisters in Thames Valley. So, aloha from Honolulu. Bye-bye. So, I wrote this book. It was not easy. Of all the books I've done, this required me to dig down deep uh, personally, because Psalms deals with the interior life. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that Ephesians or Romans or the Gospels don't deal with the heart. But as you know, Psalms is pretty raw. The way the feelings are expressed, the things that are said, uh, the subject matter, it's just different to a lot of the Bible. You know, about 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of sadness. 
there's lamentation, there's regret, there's uh, confusion, uh, bewilderment, feelings of desolation. That's a, lot, that's a good part of it. And it occurs to me that those negative feelings, those challenges to our faith, that picture we have in Psalms pretty well mirrors life itself. Life has a lot of challenges. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. And probably Psalms means more to me now as someone who's been in the Lord for 40 years plus than it ever could have in those early years of that first decade or so. So I knew I needed to dig down and study the Psalms. And yet I didn't read it but once a year. When I got to the point where I, I, as, as a young Christian, I realized I'm reading the Bible about once a year. When I'd finished reading the Bible 50 times through, I thought, what if I have a year and just focus on one book? Actually, I had a friend who spent regular time in the Psalms, and that encouraged me. And so for a whole year, it was actually back in 2012, all I did was read and pray through 150 Psalms every week. So I went through that whole cycle repeatedly. And it took some perseverance to stick with one book, because uh, it's hard to focus sometimes, but it was more than worth the effort. I also wanted to do it because I had committed to do something similar long ago in the mid-80s. My goal with the Bible is not to memorize the Bible. I mean, unless you're wired in a very unusual way, you're not going to memorize all the scriptures. But I think we can all become familiar with scripture. And for me, my long-term goal is to know what is in every chapter of the Bible, right? All 1,189 chapters. And I realized, this was back in 86, that there are a lot of the Psalms, if you said the number, I'm not sure I would remember what was in there. And so I announced my intention, and a year later, a brother named Mark Templer asked me, a year later, so how'd it go? Have you learned the Psalms? And I had to say, I haven't done so well. You want to quiz me? And I really did badly. I felt I failed. So I was kind of making up for something in the past. Now, I know, and you probably know too, that the Psalms are not heavily doctrinal. I mean, if you're trying to get the essentials of the faith crystallized, if you're looking for things that are short and to the point, it's not that way. It's a bit messier. Psalms has been described much more as therapy for the soul than, than simply a list of things to believe or even a list of things to do. It's practical, but not practical in the way we might be thinking, but it's very therapeutic. Another reason I wanted to write this book is that in the history of Christianity, broadly defined, okay, but in the last 20 centuries, Psalms has been central. Uh, it's been such an important book, played such an important role, but in my church, in our church, uh, Psalms has not played such a big role, and I wanted to, to work against that. Psalms is also great because it helps us to be on our guard against unrealistic portrayals of life. Sadly, one of the most popular teachings these days is the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel that started creeping particularly into Pentecostal Christianity back in the 70s, and that was nearly t taken over that movement completely. But it's also been creeping into restoration churches, churches of Christ, Christian churches. And I want to do what I can to help people to be healthy spiritually. The problem with false doctrine, unsound doctrine, is not that it's incorrect. It's unsound. It's unhealthy. It makes us spiritually unhealthy. And so we have all of these uh, gospels, the signs and wonders emphasis, the fear and fascination with the end times, visions and dreams. It's all about me and my personal quest for glory, health and wealth. Psalms is a really great tonic. It'll cure you of such shallow and really simplistic thinking. And one other reason I wanted to write, I wanted to take a crack at writing a small book. My books are not normally small. Could I do it? 
and if I could write a book that was small, maybe everyone would pick it up and read it and finish it. And since then, actually, we've done a number of books in the smaller format. Well, I'd like to introduce the Psalms through simply sharing some interesting facts. You may know some of these already. First, that Psalms is the most quoted book in the New Testament. The New Testament, and, and um, I, I looked at all the uh, quotations when I was a young Christian, and I noticed, wow, there are a lot of quotations from Deuteronomy and from Psalms and from Isaiah. Actually, Psalms is the number one. Uh, and even in the Dead Sea Scrolls you may have heard of, uh, which are written in the century or so right around the time of Christ, Psalms is the most popular book. It's the most represented, the most quoted. And of the Psalms quoted in the New Testament, by far, the number one is Psalm 110. We'll, look about, we'll take a look at that in a little bit, but it's a psalm about Jesus. A third fact, it contains the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, also the shortest, Psalm 117. If you can allow me to add seven seconds to my talk, I'll quote it. Praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. It's got the long and the short. David is credited typically as the composer of the Psalms. We say David said, just as um, if something was from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, we would say, well, Moses. Well, Moses didn't write those five books. He wrote parts of them, but we credit the whole thing to him. It's a kind of shorthand for referring to it. Same with the Psalms. David wrote the minority of the Psalms. He wrote a lot, but only the minority. But he is uh, one of many contributors, though he gets the credit. Other contributors, Moses, Solomon, Asaph, and so forth. In the same way, with the Proverbs, we say, we might think Solomon said, but if you actually count up the Proverbs that are written by Solomon, it's the minority. David was musical. He was a harpist. This will lead into the next observation. But I think his son Solomon also, this is kind of a mind-blowing statistic. Maybe you've noticed in 1 Kings 4, uh, it's verse 32, it says that Solomon not only um, composed 3,000 Proverbs, of which only a couple hundred are in the book of Proverbs. But he also wrote a thousand and five songs. <laughs> a thousand and five. Wow. So music, that artsy quality is running in the family. And that brings us to the fifth observation. Did you know, although psalms are musical, there are many songs in the Bible before psalms. In fact, there are seven big ones. After the Exodus, after Israel went through the Red Sea, there's the Song of Moses, Exodus 15. There's the Song of the Ark in Numbers 10. The Oracles of Balaam in Numbers 23, 24, all musical. The Song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, the one he forced Israel to memorize. There's another one called the Blessing of Moses in Deuteronomy 33, of the Song of Deborah in Judges 5 after the victory. And there's the Song of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. Now, your, your Bible is probably like my Bible. It's mute. I mean, there's no volume control. Your Bible is just text, right? But a lot of these things were musical. And of course, for most people, they heard the Bible. How it sounded was really important. Most people weren't reading one. Scripture was very rare. And you could only get so many people crowding around a scroll to read it. Most people just had to sit patiently and try to remember what they could. So the Psalms were originally accompanied by musical instruments, stringed instruments. And in Old Greek, not New Testament Greek, but earlier, there was a word psalo, and psalo is to pluck. So any instrument that you plucked, like a harp or a lyre, 
That was the accompaniment of the songs. I appreciate those who can, who can sing and play. I play the piano, uh, partly because I enjoy it and partly because I'm hoping it'll help me from you know, losing my mind when I'm old. Uh, but I cannot sing and play the piano at the same time. Or if someone starts talking to you when I'm playing, I, I mess up terribly. I just can't do it. The best closest I could come is we, we had a dog uh, who was very musical, and she would sing whenever I played the piano. So it was like a duet for piano and dog. And I'm sure she did better, even though she's a canine, than I could. I just can't do those things together. I'm just wired differently. See, that's why it was hard for me to dig into the Psalms. Easy for a guy like David, and for some of you uh, listening to this video. But for me, it wasn't easy. Well, even after the book of Psalms, by the way, there's another whole psalm. Do you know where it is? It's at the end of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3 is a psalm. I like to read it. And it's a great psalm because it reminds us that even amidst failure, even if we're disappointed, things aren't going well, God still calls us to have faith and to trust him. Let me just read the end of Habakkuk. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, yet, oh, and though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And then it says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. It's a psalm. And it says, even if the harvest isn't coming in, even if the productivity you had hoped, or you'd planned on, or budgeted on, or prayed for, even if it's not happening, don't let the results determine your joy. As Jesus said in Luke 10, let's rejoice that our names are written in God's book of life in heaven. That's the thing to rejoice, not because of our effectiveness. Well, um, a sixth kind of interesting fact about the Psalms is that they contain a number of words whose meaning Hebrew translators can only guess at. They just don't know. There, there are a number of musical terms. And you'll see this footnoted in your, in your Bible. And then there's that word, that interjection, selah, selah, which appears at different times. And no one really knows. Does it mean take a break? Does it mean... Uh, a flourish of trumpets or something? We don't really know. And that's interesting. So not every word in the Bible, the original scripture, is understood. But that doesn't affect the message. The central message is so clear. And even most of the other part is not hard to understand. But knowing God's word, hearing it, comprehending it, putting it into our hearts, does not depend on a technical understanding of every little thing. I think that's good news. Because if we had to you know, pass a theology test in order to be a Christian. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know how we do. I don't think that would be good. Psalms is not only a book of prayer, and there's a lot of prayer, but it's a book of hymns. So you have the musical side, you have the oral, the vocal side, but it's actually both at the same time. Now, not every psalm is a prayer, though they are all used as prayers. I'll explain that in just a moment. In the past, Typically, when I would read Psalms, before I had my project, I would read them straight through, sometimes at one sitting. Oh, I remember one time in London, it was an all-night prayer meeting, and I thought, I'm going to begin simply by praying through all the Psalms, which took several hours. You can do it that way. But what I realized for my project is that these are overlapping. You can read and pray them at the same time. 
which is really great for your quiet time because you're doubling up. Your prayer and your study, it counts double. Not that God is counting, but I think that's quite remarkable. In the early church, Psalms was essentially the hymn book and the prayer book. The next little fact is that Psalms is structured into five books. The Old Testament scholars, I think they're probably right here, say that this is deliberately mirroring the law of Moses, that is the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And it's not a matter of guessing where the books are. It's in your Bible. You'll see, it'll say the end of book one, and now we're starting book two. Book one is in chapters one to 41. What characterizes this? The word for God is typically Yahweh. Now, unfortunately, in many English Bibles, it just says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's not the same as Lord spelt the normal way. Um, they're, they're trying to show you that it's the four letters, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Um, I wish they would just translate it um, as it is. But Yahweh is the normal name used for God in, in book one and a little bit later. And as we move from book one to two to three and on, there's a gradually sh gradual shift from, how we say, individual psalms to more corporate psalms, corporate worship. And there's also a shift, fortunately, from more serious or somber tones into tones of greater joy. Um, celebration. Book two of the Psalms, 42 to 72, are mainly written by David and the sons of Korah. In book three, 73 to 89, there's a, a very clear focus on Jerusalem as the capital, as the center of God's people, geographically and spiritually, Zion. Uh, focus on Jerusalem and the temple. Book four starts in Psalm 90 up to 106, and this is very much focused on praise and thanksgiving. And the final book, 107 to the end, are praise psalms and psalms of ascent, and some have seen the final five chapters as the conclusion to the whole book, 146 to 150. Just a few more facts. A number of the psalms are acrostics. Now, we find acrostics in other parts of the Bible. Acrostics basically means that each verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The most obvious example of this, and I wish I could just show you Psalm 119 in Hebrew, but it's 22 stanzas, each group is eight verses. Okay, so you've got eight times in the first stanza, every line begins with Aleph. Aleph is the sound, uh, that's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So every, every line begins, uh, in the next stanza of five, everyone begins, because it's Aleph and Bet, and the third stanza is Chimel and Dalet and Hey, and all the way um, to Sin Shen Tao. And this is a, I guess it's a way to memorize, it's a mnemonic device. But this is not just in Psalms. Lamentations is acrostic. Um, there are other parts of the Old Testament that do that. And we, we wouldn't notice that probably unless there's a note in our Bible. But it was something that I think added a dimension. Tenthly, did you know this? There is a Psalm 151. Now, I'm betting that most of us don't know what that is. It's not official. It's not an official psalm, but you may enjoy it all the same. And I've actually uh, devoted one chapter in the book to that particular psalm. So psalms contain, in addition, some prayers that we should never pray. Now, you may say, what? You're telling us not to pray? I'm going to say, as Christians, there are some psalms whose words we really cannot use. Now, there's something we do with them, and I'll explain that in a moment, and there's a whole chapter in the book on that. Oh, the twelfth and final thing, it's the word that describes the book of Psalms. It's called the Psalter. Now, of course, we pronounce Psalms. We don't say Psalms because the P is silent, but Psalter, P-S-A-L-T-E-R. 
That's what the whole thing is called. And if you read, if you buy a book on the Psalms, you'll come across that. Okay, it's time to talk about some general principles, how to get the most out of studying the Psalms. And I'd like to share with you a dozen principles before I actually take you into the book. Um, these may be common sense, but hopefully they'll be encouraging to you. First, when we take a psalm, I encourage you to read it and pray it. You could do it separately or together, but most of the psalms aren't that long. Read it through, try to get a feel for it, and then as much as you can, take those words and use them for your prayer. Do that. Number two, this requires meditation. What is meditation? Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind of all thought or filling it with one syllable like om. It's actually quite the opposite of the Asian kind, which empties the mind and actually, I think, exposes the mind to all kinds of uh, dangerous things. Biblical meditation is taking a thought in the Bible and considering it from different angles. It's pondering it. It's thinking it through. It's thinking about it. And I, by nature, I'm more of a quick guy. I'm a little impatient. I would read it and say, okay, okay, let's go and read the next thing now. Let's see how fast we can go. But there's really something to be said for chewing your food carefully before you swallow it. And it prevents gagging. And I think we probably <laughs> digest it a lot better too. But meditate. We're supposed to meditate on the law. It's interesting. In the Hebrew Bible, the three sections, because the order is a little different, but you have the section of the law. And then when you begin the second section, which is called the prophets, and they actually included Joshua as the first book of the prophets. But in Joshua 1 verse 8, it says that he should meditate on the law. And the third section, the last section of the Old Testament, is called the writings. And in the beginning of Psalms, it says, Blessed is the man who meditates on the law. And then a few verses later, it seems to be pointing to the prophets. So all sections of the Bible, meaning the Old Testament, need to be carefully considered, meditated on. And that is an important study tip. Number three, keep in mind that these are generally human words addressed to God. And I'm not saying that Psalms is not scripture or it's not God speaking to us, but it's quite different from the rest of the Bible. Um, here, people are speaking to God. Okay, That's different than just God speaking to us or just giving us a message through someone else. Fourthly, please don't get bogged down. Um, some parts, some Psalms will mean more to you now uh, than they used to. Uh, some of the Psalms you may, may not relate to them at all. It's okay. That may come later in life. Keep moving. Don't get bogged down. It's like when you're reading certain parts of the Bible, it may be certain genealogies, or maybe it's the last nine chapters of Ezekiel. They're, they're parts that are quite tough. And my advice is don't be robotic and just push yourself. Learn how to read quickly, how to read lightly. Keep moving. Number five, do some memory work. And at the very end, um, in the end material of Thrive, I've given you some suggestions on, on memory work, actually more than 100 scriptures that you might consider committing to memory. I hope you'll choose some of those and do that. My sixth suggestion, occasionally you'll see that the beginning of the psalm has some instructions. It might be instructions to the, the choir director, but it may also say this is the writer of the psalm and this was the situation. You know, Think of David and Bathsheba directly linking 2 Samuel 11 and 12 to Psalm 51. If you get that kind of information, uh, don't skip over it. Find the part of the Old Testament's referring to so that you can coordinate and understand what's going on. Number seven, notice when you read the New Testament, which Psalms are being quoted and why. 
And I, I'll just add here, sometimes when you go back to Psalms, you say, well, that's not quite the way Paul used it or the way Peter quoted it. It's a little different to what we read in Psalms. And there's a reason. Nearly every quotation in the New Testament is from the Greek version of the Psalms. And uh, your Bible is probably translated from the original Hebrew. This is beyond the scope of this talk, but if you want to uh, check out some podcasts on how the Bible came to be, use that search phrase at my website, you'll find an explanation. Eighthly, let's try to see how Christ fulfills the law. You know, he fulfills the law, the prophets, and the writings. Christ means anointed, and he fulfills the institution of priesthood, kingship, and prophethood. Prophets, priests, and kings were all anointed. Jesus fulfills all the scripture, and um, every book of scripture he fulfills. How does that work exactly? Um, well, it's easier perhaps to see that he fulfills the law with the sacrifices, because he is a sacrifice. But how, how does he fulfill the monarchy? And how is he the son of David, not just genealogically, but in a spiritual way that honors fa the Father in heaven? Uh, this is something to focus on, and I'd like to help you, and I've given you a chapter called Christ in the Psalms and the Psalms in Christ. Number nine, you have to notice that some Psalms have been artificially divided. You know, none of the chapter numbers in the Bible are original. And I know that not just because I read in a book, because I've looked at, I've held medieval manuscripts in my hand, and they don't have chapter numbers. Go back a thousand years. I mean, they may have some markings, some system, but it's not standard. Uh, just like the verse numbers, which weren't added until just a few hundred years ago. So for those of you who like to play uh, mystical games based on the chapter and verse numbers, or worse, of just one version like the King James, you're just playing games. You're blowing smoke. This is not biblical. But uh, some psalms are artificially divided. 9 and 10 are clearly the same psalm. Uh, just check it out. 42, 43 is another example. But pay attention there so that you don't miss something. Next, pay attention next time you're in church and the church are singing hymns or songs or choruses, notice the lyrics. A lot of lyrics come from the Psalms. You know, we don't often sing a psalm, but some, some things we sing, like, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. That's straight from Psalm 25. So are several verses there. Or praise the Lord, ye heavens adore him. Beautiful, you know, from the end of the Psalms. Uh, uh, I, one of my favorites is, A mighty fortress is our God. I don't, we don't sing that so much, but I'm very moved by, the, by that song. Or praise ye the Lord, which is basically a singing of Psalm 117. And I think we, we appreciate the tradition that way. It's a really great idea. Uh, just two more tips. One is, careful when you're reading metaphor. In fact, when you're reading all descriptive language. You know, Psalms is poetry. And the rules of poetry are not the same as those of prose. Things can be overstated, understated. Uh, very commonly in poetry, uh, things are expressed with an economy of words. I mean, you leave out uh, articles, like the, instead of saying the, you just leave it out entirely. They're written very differently. And if we're not careful, we can end up in some bad places. A huge part of the uh, Catholic and Protestant world believe that we're born in sin, uh, sinful from the time our mothers conceive us. Uh, and they, that's, you know, that's based on uh, Psalm 51, verse 5, uh, when David is just sharing how bad he feels. That's how bad he feels. But it's not literally the truth. If it were, we would expect that you could take Psalm 58, 3, literally, that the wicked are born speaking lies. So when your baby is born, um, you think it's crying, it's actually speaking lies. Or that, you know, you, that it, your child trusts in God from birth, like in Psalm 22, 9. Or check out Psalm 71, 6. 
So a lot of people have read the psalm, I think they read the psalm sloppily and ended up creating or following along uh, emphases that are just not right. And sometimes uh, there's a very negative view of God. So the psalms are poetry. And so that, that means that if we, we study the psalms, we will uh, get a big payoff, not just for those 150 chapters, but for all the rest of the Bible that's poetry. And that's about 30% of the Bible. And now, some chapters are only partly poetry, but if you know, every chapter that had poetry was all poetry, what, what am I saying? You know, we'd have something like 350 chapters of poetry. Do you know how to read poetry? That's important. And Hebrew poetry is not the same as uh, English. So you find the poetry in the Psalms. Proverbs is poetic. We find it in uh, many of the prophets, almost all the prophets, I think. And of course, the New Testament has various hymns that are incorporated, especially into the letters. Finally, uh, last, my twelfth and final tip here. The New Testament tells us to use Psalms to instruct and to encourage one another. I think we need to do that. We read about this in Colossians 3.16, but also in Ephesians 5.19. Let me read that one. Paul says that we should speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that tells me that content is important. The goal is not just to sing in an inspiring way that makes people shiver or feel something. It's to teach. It's to instruct. And I'm not against the simple choruses that often have uh, very simple lyrics and some words repeated over and over. Though I think there comes a time where I'm getting tired of singing the same word over and over. But those are fine and there's biblical precedent. But content is a big deal. And Paul says we, we pray with our spirit, but yeah, we're supposed to pray with our mind. And that means understanding. So think about what you're singing. And if you, you don't understand it, or especially if you don't agree with it, maybe hold back and just say a prayer. Content is important. Well, I hope you enjoyed this first class. If you have any questions, drop me a line, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. Next time, Douglas will take us through his book, chapter by chapter, and thereby connect us to some of the main psalms and the themes of the psalms, which I believe will bless us all. Until the next time, take care, and God bless.